It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Jimmy Fallon. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Bill Hemmer, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. I'm Lisa Brady. Saturation coverage of the conflict in the Middle East, though many people don't trust the media to tell the story. You know, what frustrates me as a journalist who's dedicated his life to fairness and dealing in facts is that for many people in this hyper-polarized society, facts don't seem to matter as much. We speak with Fox's Howard Kurtz. I'm Dave Anthony. As Israel wages war against terror and Ukraine tries to fend off an invasion, North Korea is accused of being involved in both conflicts, perhaps strengthening ties with Russia and China. Any improvement or strengthening of relations amongst any of those three players is very worrisome. They're all rogue nations. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The fighting between Israel and Hamas has led to other kinds of battle lines being drawn. There is no place for anti-Semitism, full stop, period. This is important to the president. It's important to me personally and to everyone in the administration. White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre telling reporters yesterday she understands the need for more clarity after an answer on anti-Semitism at Monday's press briefing was slammed by critics as weak. At the United Nations, Israeli Ambassador Gilad Erdan calling on the U.N. chief Antonio Guterres to resign after Guterres said the October 7th Hamas terror attack on Israel did not happen in a vacuum and that the Palestinian people have had 56 years of what he called suffocating occupation. The UN is failing and you, Mr. Secretary General, have lost all morality and impartiality. The U.S. did not join the call for the U.N. chief to resign, but National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says Hamas, not Israel, is to blame for October 7th. He also says the U.S. will continue to urge Israel to minimize civilian casualties. This is war. It is combat. It is bloody. It is ugly. And it's going to be messy. And innocent civilians are going to be hurt going forward. I wish I could tell you something different. I wish that that wasn't going to happen. This week, the Israeli government showed journalists body cam footage it says was made by Hamas fighters during the massacre in Israel, aiming to counter a phenomenon it likens to Holocaust denial, as some pro-Palestinian protesters and some lawmakers reject reports of Hamas atrocities, while also rejecting Western intelligence analysis that a hospital explosion in Gaza was likely caused by a militant rocket fired from Gaza at Israel. Well, it's a difficult war to cover, no question about it. Howard Kurtz is the host of Media Buzz on Fox News Channel and the Media Buzz Meter podcast. When you look at the constant bombings and rockets from both sides, there's really no safe place in Israel right now. And uh, there's obviously no safe place in Gaza. Um, I think my main criticism of the coverage would be that a lot of the reporting analysis and so on seems to lose sight of the fact that not just that Hamas started this war, but started it with unbelievable, really unspeakable atrocities. And so now that Israel is fighting back and clearly while trying to avoid or minimize civilian casualties, the more crimes, really, that Hamas committed. I mean, for example, 
kidnapping an 85-year-old grandmother and beating her initially, according to her account. That's the one that was freed along with a 79-year-old woman. Uh, that's barbaric. Uh, you know, you don't do that according to the rules of war. So I just think that it's important to maintain perspective and balance as obviously the New York Times acknowledged in an editor's note, it did not when it ran with uh, the story about it blaming Israel for the bombing of the hospital in Gaza City. Yeah, and in that editor's note, um, they said, look, we relied too heavily on the Hamas statements about that explosion without specifying what could or could not be verified. Is it too late after the fact with that, though? I mean, how many people read the editor's note compared to the number who clicked on posts about that? Well, more importantly, it's too late to undo the damage because, you know, look, newspapers make mistakes all the time. I've made my share of mistakes. You run a correction and hopefully it does reach. But in this case, and it wasn't only the New York Times, a number of major news organizations had similar headlines blaming Israel. And when you say Palestinians say, I mean, there is the tell because the, the Gaza government is controlled by the terrorist group Hamas. So one ought to at least have skepticism, and they've exaggerated death tolls and, and, and things of that nature. Now, uh, in terms of the, the damage, one, uh, the Arab leaders immediately canceled a plan, uh, get together with President Biden while he was in Israel. He was going to go to Jordan. That got blown up. Then you had these um, fierce, angry demonstrations across the Middle East, uh, people inflamed by the notion that Israel had done this. And think about it for a second. Why would Israel target a hospital? Israel doesn't do massacres. That's Hamas's specialty. And even now, when I think there has been overwhelming and definitive evidence that it was an errant Islamic jihad rocket that misfired and landed uh, outside that hospital, I still see news organizations portraying it as a he said, she said, or both sides blame each other. Well, when you have that kind of evidence, and it took a while to come out, obviously, intercepted phone calls, video, I don't think you should hide behind both sides blame each other. Certainly a difficult landscape when tensions are so inflamed in the civilian population, not just in the Middle East, but more across the world in the yeah. result of all of this. How can the media navigate that in a responsible way? And I ask that in part with social media in mind, because we're in a world now of posting things and reaching a wider audience so quickly. Yeah. And there's a lot of misinformation on places like Twitter or X uh, and other social media giants. And that's difficult to police as well. Uh, so people have to um, encounter it with many grains of salt. And I'm not saying that I'm not just as concerned about Palestinian civilian deaths and so forth, but it wasn't Israel that started this war. And so, you know, those who are calling for a ceasefire are basically saying, you know, you shouldn't retaliate after a, a surprise attack that left 1,300 Israelis dead. Um, but as far as the rest of the world, I, I mean, it is true. There has been a rise in a surge, really, in anti-Semitic incidents in this country and elsewhere. And there also has been a rise in hate attacks on Muslims. Both are equally troublesome. Both are equally chilling, really. So it's more than just the war 
between Israel and Gaza or Israel and Hamas. It is really, I mean, we're all fearful of a wider war, which President Biden is trying very hard to prevent from happening. But there's also this just sort of surge of hate. And social media certainly provides a very rich platform for those haters. A recent Gallup poll finds nearly four in 10 Americans have no confidence in the media to report the news fully, accurately, and fairly. There is a partisan divide in the poll. Democrats have more confidence than Republicans. But for Democrats, media confidence has dropped 12 percent just since last year. Does that surprise you? Well, it doesn't surprise me only because in every poll of this nature, the news business seems to go down a few more points. And um, I think a lot of it is self-inflicted wounds. There have been a lot of high-profile mistakes. Certainly the Trump years were not just politically polarizing, but basically pushed the media, and this is before January 6th and certainly afterwards, and now with the four trials, into almost like the opposition camp to Donald Trump. And yet other polls, political polls, show that he is running uh, either neck and neck or, or somewhat a few points ahead of President Biden. Now, that's also a situation where we have to report on certainly, for example, the Georgia election uh, interference trial uh, when Trump's own former lawyers are turning on him. We have to report the facts of all these cases. But yet a lot of people who are either sympathetic to Donald Trump or think he was a great president, that just alienates them more. They think because there are four different diamonds, two federal, two state, that not only is the former president being persecuted, but that the media are part of that piling on. And that brings me to actually the question of whether facts still matter, because even today, uh, there are a lot of uh, people uh, who either support the Palestinians or are affiliated with Hamas or affiliated with Hezbollah, another terror group backed by Iran, who either believe or choose to believe that Israel actually bombed that hospital. And so, you know, what frustrates me as a journalist who has dedicated his life to fairness and dealing in facts is that for many people in this hyperpolarized society, facts don't seem to matter as much. Well, and when it comes to things like media confidence and the, and the partisan split there, I mean, Republican confidence took a hit in 2016, just as Trump was emerging, you know, highly critical of the mm -hmm. media. Confidence overall, though, had already plummeted since the 1970s. You know, does does Trump get too much of the blame for that? Well, certainly for what, three, four decades, many conservatives, many Republicans have been wary or skeptical or just had no uh, faith in the media. But most media outlets were center left. And there was no place else to go. And that's before the uh, rise of uh, talk radio and Rush Limbaugh. It's before the uh, uh, Fox News emerged on the scene and is now, you know, for many, many years, the number one cable news network. And all of the websites uh, and people with blogs and people on social media who now get to vent their feelings. So, no, Trump doesn't get all the blame by any means. He kind of crystallized. Uh, since everybody told us Trump wasn't going to win anyway, and that was a blunder, he kind of crystallized uh, longtime mistrust by Republicans and conservatives of the mainstream media. But now, I mean, there are a lot of Democrats, who, as you noted earlier, 
that number has also risen, the distrust number. That's in part because some people on that side believe that we're too tough or not fair enough to Joe Biden. I would say Joe Biden actually gets pretty good press, but there have been times such as the chaotic and deadly withdrawal from Afghanistan and just the fact that he's way down in the polls and the majority of voters, both Democrat and Republican, are so concerned about his age that they don't think he should run for a second term or don't think he's fit for a second term. Uh, well, it's our job to report those things. But if you're a partisan Democrat, you can see that as evidence of piling on or as evidence of media bias from the other side. I'm really curious to get your take on how much or not at this point artificial intelligence plays into this or has the potential to hurt public confidence in a variety of institutions, including the media. You know, if people are less confident that what they're seeing or hearing is real um, or is that not a concern yet for many people? Uh, no, I think it's a concern for a lot of people, including people in our profession, um, because clearly, while there is an upside to artificial intelligence and maybe doing a lot of the scut work and freeing up people to do more substantive jobs, it's kind of scary what AI can do in terms of writing scripts uh, that don't necessarily get approved by humans or more troubling, I think, even are images. You know, these so-called deep fakes are easy to produce with artificial intelligence. And people can say, well, look, I saw that photo and that must be true. But sometimes now it's not true. And look, AI, the concern has really just been around for some months now. And think about where it's going to be in a year or two as these artificial intelligence tools grow more sophisticated, but they also grow more capable of deceiving people. Howard Kurtz, host of Media Buzz on Fox News Channel and the Media Buzz Meter podcast. Thank you very much for your time. Nice to talk to you. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. While the U.S. keeps supporting Israel against terrorists and Ukraine against invaders, there's an increased concern about American adversaries working together in these conflicts. This is all interconnected. You've got the North Koreans, the Iranians, the Russians, and the Chinese, sort of, on the same side against the democratic world. Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell mentions North Korea. Well, the U.S. believes it has not only given Russia military aid for the war in Ukraine, there are reports that Hamas militants have used North Korean weapons in their battle against Israelis, including rocket-propelled grenade launchers. We think that the weapons have been provided, but we don't know when they were provided. Bruce Klingner is a former CIA deputy division chief for Korea, now a senior research fellow for Northeast Asia at the Heritage Foundation. North Korea is or was an arms dealer. Uh, they would sell almost anything to anyone for, for many, many years. We know there was a lot of shipments to the Middle East in the 1970s and 1980s. And then, actually, North Korea cut off the Palestinian Authority after they, the PLO or PA 
started negotiating with Israel. Then after about 2000, there was some resumption of arms trade. So the weapons that have been identified in the Middle East, uh, rocket-propelled grenades, 122-millimeter artillery or rocket ammunition, could have been there for quite some time. I, I don't think we've seen any indications of recent shipments, but that's not to say it couldn't have happened via North Korea to Iran and Iran to the Middle East. All right. Now, we do have a lot of belief that there have been current shipments of weapons from North Korea to Russia to be used in Russia's Ukraine war. Is that real? Did that happen? Very much so. Um, what we've seen is about a year ago, the U.S. government said that North Korea had provided a million rounds to either Russia or the Wagner Group uh, for use in Ukraine. Now, a million seemed kind of high unless they included you know, small arms ammunition, pistol and, and rifle ammunition. And then we didn't really see a lot of tangible evidence of that larger transfer. Uh, a couple months ago, there was a, a media report where Ukraine had intercepted a North Korean shipment of artillery ammunition, and then they were firing it back at the Russians. But the Ukrainian commander was saying, sort of stand back. We don't know how good the quality is because they've had misfires when they launched the, the North Korean ammo. It even veered off course. Um, but certainly that was a very tangible indication that the ammo had gone. Okay. More recently, we've seen a binge of U.S. government reports as well as outside non-government experts using unclassified imagery showing a lot of shipments going from North Korea to Russia, which the U.S. government has said was a thousand containers of ammunition. So that could be hundreds of thousands of rounds of artillery. Okay. Obviously, Russia needs that. They've been battling for over a year. We've heard all kinds of talk about their military, you know, their supplies dwindling down. Earlier this year, that North Korean president, leader, dictator, whatever you want to call him, Kim Jong-un, took a train to Russia. He was there for, what, a week? Is that right? Uh, almost a week. Uh, and he toured a lot of sort of defense-related facilities. So North Korea is sitting on a lot of ammunition that is compatible with Russian and even prior to that Soviet artillery systems. Uh, the caliber is, is the same. What we're not sure of is what North Korea is getting in return, either a year ago or more recently. So the Russian defense minister went to North Korea. And he, he met with Kim. He went to a a warehouse or a facility that is sort of an exhibition hall for North Korean weapons. We don't know if it was sort of him going down the buffet line, picking what he wanted. Um, and then the foreign minister was just there, and he may have been laying the groundwork for a Putin visit to North Korea. So we don't know if Russia is providing food or fuel in return or economic benefit. Could be military technology, and some people have kind of jumped to you know, could be the crown jewels, nuclear warhead technology, ICBM technology, et cetera. But I think you have to question whether Russia would, you know, give the crown jewels of military technology in return for admittedly a lot, but of old ammunition uh, until Russia ramps up its own ammo production. Well, then why would North Korea help out? I mean, it, they are constantly trying to build up this nuclear program. They have all these missile tests. They supposedly have failed, I guess, trying to launch satellites or whatever they're doing. If they don't get that from Russia, then why would they be so helpful? Right. Well, they're not in the charity business, so so they're certainly getting right. something in return. For quite some time, Russia and China have been 
violating UN resolutions against sending fuel shipments to North Korea. Where does China fit into this? Because last week, Russian leader Vladimir Putin went to China and met with Xi Jinping. They are talking about this uh, unification of the big Eurasia. I guess that's, you know, more cooperation between those two. I mean, North Korea is an ally of both, right? Right. So any improvement or strengthening of relations amongst any of those three players is very worrisome. They're all rogue nations. And, you know, as we worry about what Russian technology might go to North Korea, um, you know, we, we also worried about Chinese support for Ukraine and vice versa. And if the three of them are getting together, um, what, what has been sort of interesting over the decades is North Korea's relations with both Russia and China have ebbed and flowed. Little North Korea was able to play off the two communist superpowers against each other, going back to the the grandfather of the current leader, um, is it, where the, he was able to play them off against each other, get benefits from both um, as they sort of competed to have North Korea as an ally. So um, Russia, the, the relations sort of, you know, deteriorated after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And it's only in the last year or so that Russia has sort of improved relations with North Korea. So both countries are getting diplomatic benefits from each other. North Korea has approved of or recognized the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And Russia, in return, along with China, has blocked UN sanction enforcement or additional UN action against North Korea for its repeated violations of, of previous resolutions. Where are we on U.S. North Korean relations. I mean, ever since President Trump walked away from that second summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, we've seemed to go nowhere, and certainly the Biden administration has gone nowhere, right? Right. The, the last contact uh, that the U.S. and North Korean diplomats had was in October of 2019 uh, at some bilateral meetings in, in Stockholm. And at that time, North Korea announced they didn't want to have any more of these disgusting negotiations with the U.S. And since then, despite repeated attempts by the U.S. and South Korea, North Korea has refused any kind of discussion or meetings, let alone formal negotiations. So that's four yeah. years, Bruce. So where does that in those four years has North Korea had a much improved nuclear capability? Very much. Uh, you know, each U.S. president has an inherit has inherited a worse uh, North Korean threat than you know his his predecessor bequeathed him. So. Uh, under Kim Jong-un, we've seen, and he's been in power, oh, I guess, about 11 years now, we've seen sort of an exponential ramp up of the emphasis on the missile program and the nuclear program. So starting in about 2016, we saw a huge increase in the number of, of missile launches. And the result of that is that North Korea has developed and refined missiles for all ranges. They've got several different uh, ICBMs, which can hit all of the continental United States. They've got missiles that can hit our bases in Hawaii and Guam, and they can hit all of Japan, all of South Korea. And each of these weapons that they're developing, you know, is better than the, the predecessor. So it's very worrisome, not only the, the quantity, but also the, the quality. Uh, and we've been expecting a, another North Korean nuclear test for about a year and a half since March of 2022, when Washington and Seoul both said a, a seventh test was imminent. Well, obviously it hasn't happened, uh, but we expect that would actually be a small nuclear explosion 
but it would indicate that they've perfected a new generation of small tactical battlefield nuclear weapons, which is yet another worrisome development. Now to the drama this year involving North Korea and an American soldier. Army Private Travis King fled from South Korea to the north in July, crossing the border to avoid being sent back to the U.S. to be disciplined after King was jailed in South Korea in an assault case. But in September, North Korea kicked him out of the country. And now back in the U.S., the Army Private is facing numerous charges, including desertion, insubordination, assault, and soliciting child pornography. I think they realized he was damaged goods and that they would not really be able to use him for propaganda purposes or to get concessions from the U.S. You know, in the past, U.S. citizens have gone into North Korea, whether it was sort of back in the 60s or 70s, some enlisted army personnel ran into North Korea. Um, and, and those soldiers back from the 60s and, and 70s, those were used for propaganda purposes because at that time, North Korea was trying to compete ideologically with the U.S., saying that their system of government was better than the U.S., and by having U.S. soldiers criticize the U.S. system, it was seen as some kind of propaganda victory. You know, Now, they're not in that game anymore. And given the the troubled history uh, of of Private King with he had been uh, you know in trouble for assaulting U.S. officials or U.S. Uh, military personnel, then he had just gotten out of six or eight weeks of South Korean incarceration for assault and battery. So when he ran across the the DMZ, North Korea was surprised and i think they realized he he not only had no intelligence information but also was no real propaganda value and when the u.s said they weren't going to send a senior official to get him back or offer any concessions i think north korea just said let's just get rid of him bruce klingner specializes in korean and japanese affairs senior research fellow for northeast asia at the heritage foundation former cia deputy division chief for korea great to talk to you as always thank you well thanks for having me In other news, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Halloween is just days away. One of the most popular costumes this season is expected to be Barbie, all thanks to the movie's massive success. But a town in Utah took the festivities a step further, banding together to recreate Barbie Land. And it's such a hit, police had to shut down roads as locals and fans pile in to see the pink production. 18 residents who live on the island of Daybreak in South Jordan, about 20 miles south of Salt Lake City, decided to paint the town pink. Dressing up their homes as Ken's Mojo Dojo Casa House, Barbie's Dream House, Weird Barbie's House, and a Barbie Graveyard. Ken's house has cowboy decor and a decoy of the saloon doors, while the graveyard had R.I.P. the Patriarchy tombstones as well as one for Barbie creator Ruth Handler. The neighbors say they go out every year, and this year's theme was an easy choice after one of them saw the movie. Last year, they did a Stranger Things theme. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Lahren. What's on your mind? Another multi-billion dollar aid package request from Biden and hint, hint, the biggest benefactor is once again Zelensky and the Uniparty, they are all for it. Last week, Biden delivered a stuttering mess of an Oval Office address where he stressed the importance of supporting Israel, but also took the opportunity to pivot to his favorite topic, the endless funding of Ukraine. I'm sure our Israeli allies are comforted to know that while Biden is requesting $14 billion to assist their effort to defeat Hamas, he is seeking an additional $60 billion for Ukraine. Ukraine and is tying Israel's aid money to Ukraine's money, holding it hostage. This is part of a larger request for a total of $105 billion for emergency funding. Important to note, we don't have $105 billion to give, so I guess we'll just keep running up the debt with Monopoly money and hope no one can count. But the Uniparty is fine with this. The Uniparty loves dealing in Monopoly money. America last is the Uniparty motto, and hint, hint, you're paying for it. I'm Tommy Larry. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.